0: May 19th, 2023.
1: But I'm one of the top track and field fans in the world. And you're probably one of the 25% of the people that answered the poll this morning. Will I think we'll ever make an Olympics Worlds team in the 1500? As I did. Hell no. Podcast listeners, I'm not going to do what other podcasts do. Try to get you to buy something that's completely worthless. I recently purchased an item Prominently advertised on another podcast and it tasted so bad. I almost threw up. So I've got my own sponsor for this week. It's called the drop stop. It's the greatest product I've ever purchased for under $25 on amazon.com. Check the show notes. This is a little thing you put between your car seat and the center console. No food goes down there. It's absolutely amazing. It fits in every car. Click on the link, buy it today. And it's prime day. You can buy a whole bunch of other shit. Maybe I'll get a tiny commission. Thanks So much
2: look
0: at the time Europeans say that he hasn't really been in a war yet. But this boy's got to believe in and somehow she found the acceleration.
2: Welcome. Everyone, to this week's episode of the Let's Run.com Track Talk Podcast. The 2023 USATF Outdoor Championships are in the books. And what a meet it was. The 1500s lived up to the hype. Tracksmith won the men's 100. Shakari Richardson is heading to Worlds for the first time. Grant Fisher, Hobbs Kessler, and Cooper Tier go home devastated. Elise Cranny is queen of the distances. Chrissy Gear shocks Emma Coburn. Kenneth Rooks wins the men's steeple after falling. Sydney McLaughlin-Levroni delivers a huge PB and almost breaks the American record. A Thing proves us wrong. And Will Sumner goes pro with Adidas. This is Jonathan Gold. I'm going to be joined by Robert and Wilton Johnson, my co-host, the co-founders of Let'sRun.com. And what you heard at the start of the show, that was us talking about A Thing two months ago. And... We were not huge fans of this idea to pursue the 1500 that Bobby Kersey had suggested, but man, she was impressive over the weekend. I think we have to start there. Thing Mo just finished second at USA. She's not going to Worlds. She's given up her spot in the 1500. But, well, then Robert, will ask you, do we need to take a huge L on this? Is an apology owed to Thing Mo and Bobby Kersey?
1: Within 30 seconds of the race ending, I went to the message board and Start of the thread. We're under that exact same question. Do we owe oh, a Bobby and the thing? And apology, but my wife's a lawyer, John. I'm wondering if I can get off on a technicality here. She's not competing in Worlds. Many people think that Yara Negus is not an Olympian because he never towed the track at Worlds in a 1500. So she's as much as a 1500-meter world well, championship competitor as Yara Ngoose is a 1500 Olympian. Okay, I'm kind of kidding. She definitely was better than expected. And 4.03 is not a terrible time. I still think that the larger point of her, 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 her where is she more likely to be truly world-class, 400 or 1,500? I think it's still the 400, but an amazing run for her. And maybe we do owe an apology. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. Bobby's viewed as this genius. She and Sydney and... I think in Sydney are just raving whatever Bobby does, but you know he wasn't a genius for Brandon Miller, but in this case for her, incredibly well done, and I and I think that her working on her endurance, you know, is good. Is what she needs. You know, as people say, she's got to be to to go after that world record in the 800. Is going to be super tough.
2: Yeah, I think it's a combination, Robert. Thing Mo and Sydney McLaughlin lavroni are generational talents, but also Bobby Cursey is a good coach. I think both things can be true. It's the same with like the Mike Smith group. I mean, Woody Kincaid, Abdi Noor are big talents, but I mean, I, I didn't see Nikki Hiltz winning this thing. So, I mean, maybe Mike Smith does deserve some decent amount of credit there. I don't know. Anyway, with the Thing Mo and Bobby Cursey thing, I, I think I. Probably, I mean, I certainly underestimated how good a thing Mo was going to be in this event. And I agree with you, Robert. I think if she's thinking about double gold in Paris, I would say even after this weekend, the 400, 800 is still the way to go. But I did say at the time when she moved to this event, if they're running the 1500 just to build strength for the 800 and to attack that world record, I wasn't totally opposed to the idea. And. Mo seems to think she's stronger. She thinks she's in sub four shape right now. But, yeah, my thing was like, look, there's no historical precedent for this. For a Thing Mo to have success in the 1500 as a 49.5, 400-meter runner, she would have to be a unicorn. Oh, well, guess what? Turns out a Thing Mo actually is a unicorn. So, congratulations. Terrific run by her. She almost won the damn thing. 4.03. I think she can go faster. And honestly, if we had a 1500 at the global stage where it was more sit and kick maybe one day she could medal in that event if we ever get in a kind of final like that but the way it's run right at the moment with Sagai and Kip gone and Hassan from 2019 the finals at Worlds just might be too fast for her to be a factor but yeah man she was impressive this weekend
0: John there'll be no apology from me let me just play a little clip here Okay, isn't a Thangbo almost an all-time historic outlier, John, if I'm going to push back a little bit? Have we seen a talent like this at 800 meters at this age before? I mean, if anyone could do something defying, it could be her, right? There you go, John. I think so I predicted you, you this. So you picked her to make the team this weekend, right, Weldon? No, I didn't, John. And I think at one point, essentially we did start debating what it means for, to be unicorn for her one point, I'm like, oh, is making the Olympic team unicorn. But I meant that in the possibility of, I think making the Olympic team was possible for her. But we all agreed 350 Olympic champion, which is what Bobby said, totally out there. So I think she vastly exceeded our expectations this weekend. I w- never ruled out the possibility of her running around four minutes. That's what Bobby was talking about. When, when the whole Bobby quote, he said, she needs to be sub four to help her for the 800. So in my book, she's clearly there right now. Bobby and a thing are rolling on just all cylinders. Like, kudos to him. And she is a unicorn. We were sort of acknowledging that beforehand, but even more so than than we thought. But it was just great to see. As we said, hey, guys, you guys missed it. Our Supporters Club members heard four podcasts every night, so we're not going to recap everything that happened again. But we had daily podcast If you want to... Be, get daily podcasts from worlds you need to be a sportist club member join today let's run.com slash subscribe use code club 25 to save 25 percent. but almost as much as her performance i just love the fact she ran the damn final john like like we would have never gotten to see this possibility if she had bagged out after the prelim and they easily could have done that saying hey you proved yourself you got in some endurance work. You don't need to run the final. No, she went out there, and I just loved it. Like, we need more of that. We need Grant Holloway running the 100-meter final when he makes it. I'm sorry. I think we should get rid of the buys. It just doesn't serve anyone.
2: Oh, it was amazing. When I saw her on the start line, I was just like, this race just went up a notch, even before the gun went off. Seeing Mo out there with the world, champ- the, the world champion kit from Nike, Yeah, it was awesome. Props for her. She didn't even need to show up to USA's. They changed that rule where you need to run one round. She didn't need to run any rounds to get the bye. She showed up. She ran both rounds of the 1500. She ran amazing. I mean, I'm taking a bit of an L on this. I, I didn't think she'd be in contention to make the team. I thought making the final would be a good job for her. Anything beyond that. Huge cherry on top. So Certainly exceeded what I thought she was capable of. She ran great. She was awesome in the mix zone. Like It was everything you love about a thing mo, why she's become such a superstar is she's incredibly talented, she's a great interview uh you know I shouldn't be saying like oh this is I, I like certain athletes just because they talk to the press I, I don't want to be going down that road, but it's why it's easy to be a fan of her because she does have a great personality and she is this all time talent, so it was cool that she was and that's why we say you know, we'd love to see a thing mo race more, and after talking to her. This weekend, I can kind of understand why more, she, more why she doesn't. She is a 21 year old. She wants to do 21 year old things. She's already won the worlds and the Olympics, so I get it. But the reason we want more thing Mo in these races is because she is such a special talent. And when she steps on the track, she does special things, and that's what happened in the 1500 final.
0: Well, speaking of 21 year olds, John, we have a 20 year old on this podcast, intern Alex. Was MIA last week at USA's. Apparently, he was hanging out in Norway with Karsten Warholm. True or false, Alex?
3: That is true. He was lucky enough to sit down with me for around an hour. Article coming out soon.
0: Yeah. I mean, actually, guys, when I introduced that segment right there, I assume people thought I was joking. And, you know, Alex was on vacation in Norway. He just didn't go on vacation, though. He went to the Stockholm Diamond League meet. Next thing you know, he just texts me. He's like, "Hey, I want to go to the Norwegian champs." And then he gets a sit down with Carsten Warholm. So, great work. I guess quickly, Alex, we can do the Diamond League talk later. I want to get your impressions of being in a Diamond League. But USA's, we never talked to you about the meet. What, like, what's your number one takeaway from the meet, or what, what stood out most to
3: you, or you know, it can be a couple of things. I mean, Cravant Charleston winning 100 was. Probably one of my highlights. I feel like in sports in general, I'm always rooting for the underdog. I'm always rooting for a storyline that I didn't expect to happen to come to fruition, and that was one of them. I mean, I, a couple a couple weeks ago, on um the, the the website that you guys subscribe to that has all the track results, he was like the most searched person, and I thought that was such a coincidence that like. All the people that knew so much about track and field knew about who this guy was. And all of a sudden he comes and wins the US championships.
0: Yeah, cool story.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to Kyle Merber in the mix zone in Eugene about Charleston. He's like, this guy's going to win. Like, no one knows about this guy. I'm like, I don't know. I read the results. The guy's run 990 and 991 this year. It's not like he's, I mean, he did one of those was in Finland, but if you're paying attention to the 100, you knew he was a contender. I didn't think he was going to win. You've got world champions like Noah Lyles and Christian Coleman in that race, but that's what I was trying to write in my recap. It's like, it's kind of a Cinderella story, except he's already been one of the best guys in the world. He already beat Christian Coleman this year, but it, it was amazing. I mean, a Tracksmith guy without a shoot sponsor to win that race. Alex, what I want to know from you, were there any races during USAs where you like woke up in the middle of the night, European time, that you're like, I have to watch this thing live?
3: Unfortunately, I, I didn't make that decision. I was, I was very, very close to watching the US 1500 meter men's final live just cause I, I wrote that profile on Eric Holt and I thought that he, he had a chance. And I know you guys spoke about it on, on the, on the supporters club podcast, but I think you guys are right in that we cursed him, but I was so close to waking up. But then it was like 430 in the morning and I was like, I just couldn't do it.
0: It's probably almost still light out there, right? I mean, should have never gone to bed. That was your problem. Have you reached out to Eric Holt to apologize? I mean, you ruined the guy's year. I think he
3: deserves an apology. I haven't, but I guess that's next on my list.
0: We were saying, you know, I still think there's hope for Eric Holt. A guy like that, he's probably not going to get a shoes sponsor now. He made the final, great workouts, people are talking about him. But we said this in the Supporters Club podcast. I, there's a, still an end game for Eric Holt and that's making the Olympic team next year. Like that's I'm sure that's still his goal. I'm sh- still sure that's what he's streaming for. I think 100% he gives it he keeps going through 2024 and then maybe then he gets on with his life, but be even more of a Cinderella story if he makes the Olympics next year. It would going from
2: last to first and the u.s fine or well not first but yeah last one year to making the team the next year the problem is eric holt's 28 years old and the u.s has a crop of young 1500 meter talent this might be the best young crop of milers all coming through at the same time that the u.s has, has ever had i don't know maybe that's just me getting caught up in the moment but and the super shoe effect. But do you guys think that's true? I mean, we've got Yaron Nagus is 24. Joe Wascom, Cole Hawker are both 22. That's your team to worlds. Cole, uh, Cooper Tier is 23. Nathan Green and Hobbs Kessler are both 20. And now Simeon Birnbaum was running like a pro in the first round. And he's an 18-year-old high schooler. Like, is this the best young crop of talent ever to come through in the US
0: 1500 no (laughs) Jim Ryan I mean
2: well that's one guy I'm saying like a group of guys together I mean we we weeding sexual if you count manzano Manzano, his final year of college was 2009 those three together in the 2010s was pretty darn good I would say they all ran three they all ended up running 330 pre super shoes
1: I would say probably so but let, let me say a few things here I mean There's so many things I wanted to jump in on, but my camera's not working, so I have to wait for a pause to hop into the podcast today. And you guys are talking about the Cinderella story. That's what Let's Run was, where your dreams become reality. But what I always say, that ends up being a myth. It's where your dreams don't become reality. Trigger alert. If you're a dreamer, if you're a high schooler, and we got a lot of high schoolers listening to this podcast, and you're dreaming of being the next great one, just turn the podcast off for a few minutes, have your parents listen to it, and then they can tell you when to come back on. Because one of the things that struck me, and I may write an article about this, but I thought it was too pessimistic, but I think coaching, you know, for 10 years jaded me because I realized if I get the recruits others, just, you know, good luck getting the recruits at Harvard and Princeton get when you're at Cornell, and then you're not going to beat them. But think about who made these teams. In the mid distance and distances. Like Cravant Charleston, yeah, he's a great Cinderella story. And John, I would have kept it in. You called it about Cinderella. He said, oh, he's not a Cinderella because he did well this year. But now you still could have done Cinderella this year. But no, he was actually a stud as a freshman in high school. He was in college. He won the ACC 100 and 200 as a freshman. But I'm just talking mid D and distance wise. Like, go through the list. Like, every single person except for Isaac Updike, I think, was an absolute collegiate star. People are always think, like, oh, we need more pro groups. We need more money. Not the distances. Like, you, you, you get a chance to, like, a, a, you have four years of college, sometimes five or six if it's COVID, to, to prove yourself. And if you're not shining by then, it's very unlikely you're going to shine as a pro. Because when I tabulate the result, I, I was just thinking of just going through top three every event, and it's just going to be like NCAA champion, NCAA champion, NCAA runner-up, etc. cetera. Prove me. T- tell me that I'm not wrong, John. No, you, uh, you're
2: correct, Robert. That for the most part, it's filled with people who were first or second, and then But I thought you did mention the one guy who was a true dreams become reality story this weekend, and that is Isaac Updike. He did not run high school track. Growing up in Alaska, he was a walk-on at Eastern Oregon, which is an NAIA school where he actually competed against Bernard Keita, who also made the team alongside him. He's 31 years old, had never made a U.S. team before, and now he's going to Worlds in the steeple. That is a Cinderella story, and that's the coolest uh, dreams become reality moment of the weekend, I think, is Isaac Updike finally making a team in the men's steeple chase. Congrats to him.
1: And I would like to say congrats to Alex. I mean, he's in Europe. Somehow he goes to this meet, and next thing I know he's sitting in the club with Carson Warham and his coach. I don't even have the guts to do that. Alex, John doesn't like me prying into his personal life, but I'll pry into yours since you're the intern. Like when you're out and about, I was going to say when you're in a bar, but you're not old enough to go into a bar. But if you're at a party, do you just go up to the best looking person there and say, Hey, how's it going? What are you doing tonight? Or does the let's, or does the let's run journalistic you know, media card give you that confidence?
3: As funny as that is to say, I mean, I, I think that's true. And I mean, no, personally, I'm not the, the most outgoing at a party or in like a social scene, but I don't know. I feel like, I mean, when I was in Stockholm and I met Carson Borholm's coach, I I mean, I told myself, like, I'm, I'm never going to see this guy again in my life. Like, I'm, I'm like, when, like, I thought that there's not, maybe that's an exaggeration. I might see him again, but uh, like, I don't know when. I don't know how old I'm going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be working in journalism. I'm just going to see him as a fan. And so I was like, I need to seize this opportunity. I only have this like one shot. And I didn't really know. I didn't, I didn't even know who he was until someone else told me who he was. And then I'm, um, I don't know, just tried to make an opportunity for myself. And I, I mean, luckily enough, I, I told you guys this earlier, like he's a huge Let's Run fan. And so once he heard that I worked for Let's com, he was so nice to me and welcomed me to his like, club in Norway th- with uh, open arms.
1: Yeah, they, we didn't you heard it, folks. Off air, Alex told us, Carson Warholm's coach is a huge Ledgeman fan. He said he comes every day. So, cool story, folks. I knew that guy was smart. Alec and Isaac update the biggest winners of the week.
0: When you guys were talking about where your dreams become reality, older people, Europe, I thought for sure you guys were going there. Mike Woods, the former University of Michigan. He wasn't even a star, 1500 meter runner, pretty good runner. Won a Tour de France stage at age 38 this week. I mean, 36. Cool.
2: 36. Chris Leah, friend of Let's Run, views this as the biggest story in the running world. He's texting us during in USA. He's like, drop everything, write a profile of this guy. I'm like, Chris, the biggest me of the year is going on right now. But it is a really cool story. He was a high school phenom, just like Nate Brandon and uh, Nick Willis, his Michigan teammates. Sub four guy, I think he was like three fifty seven in high school in Canada or something like that. It was really talented. Doesn't really. He was on the collegiate four by mile record team at the University of Michigan in two thousand five with Brandon Ellerton and Nick Willis. Doesn't amount to a lot in running now. Half a lifetime l- later. He wins a stage of the Tour de France is a really cool story. I would like to talk to him at some point. I think he's probably going to be pretty busy with the tour the next couple weeks, but for sure, if it wasn't happening like the morning of USA's, it would be. It should be a big story in the running world.
0: What do you think the equivalent is in the running world? And this would be good to talk to Mike about. But like, I think the problem with the running world also is like you don't have like random shit like this happen. Mike's a good cyclist. He's won some. I think Welta de Espanier stages or something like that. But the tour, like some of it, like you can be bold, get out ahead. The guys don't chase you till it's too late. It's not like the best guy wins every single stage. I think some of the randomness in the mountains are what make it great. Like track and field can be so predictable at times. But what's what's the running equivalent to winning a stage of the Tour de France?
2: Maybe winning a diamond league, but those are those are less random. Like maybe I mean, sometimes you'll get a random world marathon major winner, but that's not totally fair. I don't know if there is a strict equivalent because the thing about the Tour de France, watching—I watched the documentary on Netflix the last couple of weeks. It's like some days they're just like, "All right, you guys are going to make a run for the stage win," and the mountain stage just be like, "All right, this is a breakaway. You guys are going to try to break away and beat everyone." And because they have to ra- ride like. 21 days out of 23 or whatever the best guys cannot just go all out every single stage like sometimes they have to hold back they have to can't chase every single breakaway that sort of thing which means you get a lot of there's more stuff to fight for in that than there is in a lot of other sports because where it's just like okay who won or lost it's like no who got the sprint points who got the stage win who's leading in the overall classification who's leading the mountain stuff you know, there's just more titles on the line, but I do get. I guess we do get that because not everyone shows up to every diamond league. So I, I'd say a diamond league win might be the closest equivalent.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, but it's still not a perfect equivalency. But cool stories for sure. All right, let's go back to USA's.
1: Again, full props to our thing, Mo. it's not fair to say full props and then try to ding the accomplishment just because I didn't see it coming. But if you look at Kersey's quote about her needing to break four, totally accurate to be able to break 153, yes. It was just when the potential to win Olympic gold was added in at the end. No. I mean, she edged Sinclair Johnson, who was the top American at Worlds last year. But Sinclair Johnson, trivia question, folks. How far away was she from a bronze medal last year at Worlds?
2: Well, there was a six-second gap between third and fourth, and she was sixth. So I'm going to say she was like 7.5 seconds away. Yeah,
1: I was just going to say it was more than six seconds. So, But in case you haven't heard, I think will not be running the 1500. And I actually think that's an indication to, uh, to me that she knows that she's not at the level of these top people. And again, and, and women's running, I mean, you see at the 800, sometimes the top two or three are so much better than everybody else like, you don't see that as much on the men's side. I mean, I guess in, in the 400 hurdles maybe, but like as good as Ingebrigtsen is, he's not five seconds ahead of second and second's not four seconds ahead of third. You know, we're talking a half second, one second, etc. cetera. So I think the fact that Mo's not doing the double, the double is to- totally doable at Worlds. There's no overlap between the events. The problem for a thing is the 1500 is first. So that might tire her out a little bit. I also think you would interfere with the mixed gender 4x4 if she has any interest in doing that. Do you get any money if you want to go medal in that? I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I guess you get some TV time.
2: You absolutely get money. I mean, that's one of the reasons I think some of these people run it. What, I mean, the mixed gender 4x4, once again, interfering with people's plans. Get rid of that. It's most. It's a Mickey Mouse event, which said that before. Yeah, Robert, I'm actually interested to know, like if the 1500 was off to the 800, would she have tried the double at Worlds? Because... You figure, yeah, the fifteen the eight hundred is clearly her best event. She wants to win gold there, but give herself a hit out at the fifteen hundred with nothing to lose. I'd love to see that. Uh, I totally get why she wouldn't do the fifteen hundred this year, though, because she could be challenged by Keeley Hodgkinson or Mary Morra in the eight hundred. The priority is to win that event. She's probably probably not going to medal. Certainly not going to win gold in the fifteen. So. I I don't begrudge us skipping that event at all. The other thing, Robert, I was going through some of these lists of winners. I mean, it is actually stunning how many of these athletes were NCAA champions. You look, women's 800, Raven Rogers and Kayla Edwards, both NCAA champs. Nia Akins probably would have been an NCAA champ in 2020 if those champs didn't get canceled due to COVID. Men's 800, Bryce Hoppel, Isaiah Harris, Clayton Murphy, all of them NCAA champions, Men's 1,500. Yard nagus Joe Wascom, Cole Hawker, 3-for-3 three three NCAA champions. Women's 1,500. Nikki Hiltz was second. A Thing Mo NCAA champion. Corey McGee, I think, was second. Uh, you know, th- the pedigree needed to be the very best of the best. Yeah, you know, Woody Kincaid did win the 10K. He never won an NCAA title. It came particularly close. I think he was fifth uh, in 2015 or 2016. But for the most part, these athletes were studs in college.
0: Woody Kincaid, Joe, who's he? Why are you talking about like the ninth place finisher in the five thousand?
2: Am I allowed to talk about the Kincaid Klecker rivalry now that Klecker beat him in the in that race? I mean, what I give credit Woody, I did do give Woody credit. He was consistently outkicking Joe earlier this year. Like some people were like, "Oh, it's so cocky!" Like he lost to him in- he dropped out of the 10K world well, USA's last year. Klecker won that race. I'm like, yeah, but I mean, Woody did own Joe in the, the races they'd run to this point in 2023. So I don't know. I, I, I'm i not going to get mad at an athlete sort of making a spicy comment like that. It's, it's great for the sport. But
1: For those those of you who don't know what he's referring to, Woody Kincaid was asked about his rivalry with Joe Klecker. And he's like, can you call it a rivalry if I've never lost to all the this was the ultimate gert and britzen jinx because Gert said his son would never lose to Timothy Chariot again. Then he proceeded to lose to him right after the Olympics. I mean, Joe Clark I mean, what he didn't last, like, what, 48 hours before he lost to Joe Clecker? And
2: Yeah, Robert, you're right. We need more athletes just making bold proclamations like this, like, I will never lose to this athlete again, or I will win every race the rest of the season. And then immediately they get proven false, and we get to see excitement happen. So I'm all for these bold proclamations by athletes.
0: Yeah, I love the pro- proclamations. I mean, we've debated if a thing, Mo and Keeley Hutchinson's really a rivalry because Keeley's never beaten her. But that sounds like more like podcast talk. When I saw that Klecker actually, that Kincaid actually said it, I couldn't believe it. I still liked it. And a well, little humble pie. I mean,
2: people say this in, in other sports as well, right? When they talk about rivalries, like the Red Sox and Yankees, that was always a big thing. They called it a rivalry, but for most of the 20th century, the Red Sox never won any of the playoff games. So, you know, there was a debate around here. Like, the Yankees would be like, yeah, oh. was an old quote that, you know, some of the Yankees were talking, I think it was ahead of the 1999 ALCS, and they were like, oh, you know, Boston's pretty good this year, and Yogi Berra just comes up, he's like, we've been beating these guys for 100 years, you know? <laughs> it was just like, I mean, it's kind of true. So, all right. I want to talk we we talked about every race in detail on the night it happened on our supporters club shows last week. So we don't want to kind of rehash every single distance event. If you missed any of that or want to catch up, here are in the moment analysis. You can go to let's com slash subscribe, join the supporters club member. Join the supporters club, you can get all of that analysis on demand. But there are a few things I wanted to talk about coming, coming out of this meet. One guy I want to talk about is Cooper Tier. Reigning U.S. champion in the 1,500 meters. He bombs out in the first round. It's the second straight time the U.S. champ in the 15 has failed to make the final the following year. And he had some very interesting things to say after his race on Sunday. He came back in the 5K. He ran pretty well. He got fifth. All the guys who beat him are very good runners. No shame in that. But he admitted afterwards he made some tactical mistakes in that 1500. He also said he might not have run hard all the way through the line, which is something you guys kind of mentioned. Drew Hunter was going like all out balls to the walls to get that final spot in the final. And Tia didn't really lean Hunter did. So that went into it. But then he was also brutally honest about some of his frustrations this season. Uh, particularly when it comes to his training and not racing between his race in LA on May 27th and the USA's this past weekend. So here's what he had to say in the mix zone. And I felt like I maybe had a
3: little bit of trouble. It's just like going the last six weeks of just head down training, Like I felt like I had a hard time quantifying what I had done. Like we had some really, really amazing workouts up at Altitude, but I just didn't feel like that confidence that I have. Like when you come off of a racing season and you're running PRs and you're beating the people that you're racing here. So I think I just have to either, you know, get a little more used to that racing off a lot of a big base of training rather than racing and uh, or just race some more so either way we'll figure it out and you said you thought
2: the training was like a little intermediate between the 15 and the five um did you ever voice those concerns to jerry like how long did you felt that way
3: yeah i definitely like was asked to do 1500 sessions and you know, i got a couple in i just didn't feel like i did one really specific 1500 workout and other than that a lot of a lot of base stuff had like a little bit of speed here and there but like i've always felt like you know speed was one of my biggest assets and uh, I just didn't feel as confident with the speed this year. I just felt really strong and-
2: I found that interesting because usually we don't get that sort of insight into athletes coaching and their decisions. But you know, it's something we've discussed at length on the podcast this year. Tia wanted to run the 15, he views himself as a fifteen hundred runner. Jerry Schumacher's coach views him a little bit more as a five K runner. And there are a couple things that he's done this year with One, Jerry's a strength-oriented coach. He didn't focus as much on the 1500-specific training as Tia wanted. And two, they didn't race at all for the six weeks before USA's, which Jerry Schumacher is known to do. That's the plan. You go up to altitude right before USA's for a few weeks, you get super fit, and then you come down. And I don't know if those things will necessarily change. Jerry Schumacher is a terrific coach, but he's not exactly known for being the most accommodating to specific individual requests. It's mostly my way or the highway. And we have seen athletes struggle a little bit in their first year in Bowman and go on to great success. And I wouldn't say that Cooper has struggled all that much. He's run PBs in the 800, 1500, and 3K. But obviously, this past weekend was a, a struggle for him in the 1500. So if you guys are tier. Are you sticking with Bauman? Are you looking for other options? What would you do?
1: I found the comments to be fascinating and kind of thought, wow, is he going to leave? But I also think they're a little bit off base in terms of reality. Just looked up the stats. Last year, before USA's, when he won it, he ran 1,800, 2,500 slash miles, 1,5,000. This year, what did he do? One eight hundred, two fifteen hundred miles, one It was exactly the same racing schedule. The difference was he didn't race in the six weeks up. So I think there uh, some accommodation could be made. You could still do the, the the base training, maybe come out of it like a week earlier, run an eight hundred. But it's hard to find an eight hundred like a week out from NCAAs. But if he doesn't believe in the system, that's going to be a problem. But I think that the bigger problem for Cooper Tier, and and, and I like him because he's out there and kind of. Filming his videos and he's he loves to race, but, and this is going to sound blasphemy because I know he's an NCAA champion. I just don't know if he's good enough. I don't know if he's the A plus talent that some of these other guys are. And mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to make another team next year because, oh, I guess, may, do we think he's as talented in the 1500s as goose, Hawker, Wascom, Nathan Green, or Hobbs Kessler? All, how many guys was that? Was that five or Centrowitz? Is that six? I'm in well, a big.
2: Centrowitz is old. Uh, do I. Th- Nagoose and Hawker, I think, are more talented than the 1500, though Kupertia does have a pretty good head to head record against Cole Hawker in the 1500slash mile. I think Nagoose is more talented. I think Kessler's more talented. Waska might be. I'm not certain yet. Yeah, it's going to be damn hard to make the 1500 team, but I also think this wasn't the best version of Cooper tier, uh that we saw at USA's. He's run 332. He beat Hobbs Kessler. I guess Hobbs Kessler didn't make the team either, but he beat him head-to-head in LA. I'm not totally writing him off, but it's a really hard team to make, and I do think there are more talented guys in that event than him.
1: And last year, let's be honest, he beat a watered-down field and won USA's. Injury-prone field, too. So I just... I don't know. I, I, I think... He, it's going to be hard for him. He's really good, but these guys are even better. It's it's kind of almost like the Craig Engle situation, like he he gets someone's got to finish fourth and it might be him. You know, he was fourth in the last trials, he could be fourth the next year. I see why Jerry wants him to move it to the 5000. To me, the 5000 was right there for the taking. I'm stunned by how that played out. It was a tactical race, wasn't particularly fast. You think that would play into the big kickers' hands. Tears kind of a 1500 slash 5000 guy and he can't kick with those guys and then Woody Kincaid can was nowhere to he, he, maybe his kicks only good when people are tired out i don't know that was stunning to me that he wasn't didn't make the team in the five where i think he has a much better m- metal shot than in the 10 so
0: but robert you're talking about talent abby nerves a better 5000 meter runner than cooper tier right now and he dropped to 221 that last thousand like no one's beating that um, when you talk about talent, it sort of blast me a couple things, Robert. His name is Copper Tier. There's a great thread on Copper Tier on the forum. I'll link to it.
2: Well, well, I saw that. I feel bad for the guy because not only does he fail to make the team in USA's in two events, but then if he happens to stumble on Let's Run on Monday after USA's, all day there's a thread that's super hot about him not making the team and they spelled his name wrong. So that's just insult to injury right there. I feel bad for the guy.
0: And we've got our post of the week in this thread. This is the most upvoted post of the week by an unregistered user, so we can't give you anything for free. But maybe if you're registered, in a registered name, we would have given you a free Let's Run short. Go to shop.letsrun.com. And I think this is, clearly this is how a lot of people feel because he's got 264 upvotes, four downvotes. And the poster, Tactical, says, wow, he sounded really unhappy with his coach. He should leave. Seriously. It seems like Jerry just completely ignored him. It was not an individualized training. He's a different type of runner than Grant and others. The whole group underachieved. Jerry's new job means he is neglecting the pro athletes. Cooper, don't waste any more of your prime years under a coach that doesn't understand you or listen to you.
2: I do take issue with one part of that, the neglecting as pro athletes part. Everyone I've talked to at Bowman doesn't say that. They say they still feel they're getting the adequate amount of attention. They've also got Shane Flanagan and Chris Slinsky as assistant coaches. I think the bigger issue is that we know Jerry Schumacher, he has his system and it's fairly rigid. He doesn't really tailor it a lot to Athlete requests. It's more like, hey, here's, here's the one I think is going to get you in shape to be your best at the major championships. And that's what we're doing. But I don't think you can criticize him for neglecting his athletes because I haven't heard that complaint.
1: I have a few questions regarding those lines. When they're at altitude for six weeks, who's there administering the workouts? I'm assuming it's none of the Oregon coaches. Does Jerry fly in occasionally?
2: I think so. They said once the NCAA season ended, you know, this last month ahead of USA's, he has been there for some of it. But I also don't... Robert, he wasn't going to altitude for six weeks with these people before, you know? He's got a family back... It was in Portland, now in Eugene, I assume. Uh, you know, they're professional athletes. They don't need a coach babysitting them on every single workout, but I do think he's probably at fewer altitude sessions, especially if they're at altitude camp like during the NCAA season he's not going to be there as much.
0: Hey, maybe this proves the Mike Smith model is better. Mike Smith physically lives at Flagstaff. It's much easier for him to be to a workout, even if they go to lower altitude. He drives one hour. I, I think I'm now taking credit for this. I hype Flagstaff. Mike Smith is in Flagstaff. I mean, seriously, there's like logistical stuff that makes this a much better setup. And I think Mike Smith is a fabulous coach, but also, he's in the best place in America to train. Like, I think it's being proven. I think it's a great combination. But think about it. If Jerry, Jerry was in Flagstaff, there'd be probably a lot less questions. I mean, you have to leave your family? Does Shalane Flanagan want to leave her family and fly out to altitude and back and forth? Does Chris Selinsky want to leave his family and, and fly back and forth? Or maybe he does. Like, it, it, there's practical, you know, Pete Julian flies from... Oregon back to Boulder. Like there's practical stuff of actually living where your athletes want to be the year round. (laughs) says the guy who lived in Flagstaff for five
1: years put Flagstaff on the map Weldon Johnson but his coach never lived in Flagstaff and coached you remotely just fine. So it's kind of ironic that you're ripping them. I play it both ways the same way. It it seems like it would be beneficial to have the coach in person but we saw it with the Tim and Malite. Ton Tim and Shorts is a better remote coach than he is in person. So... That's interesting. What I want to know also about Jeremy, though, is he's got a system that he believes in. He's not changing it. But that's fine. But is the system still tailored to the individual in the sense of when we were at Cornell, we basically had three groups of workouts. We'd have a 1,500 group. We'd have an 800-meter group, more like a mile group, and then like a 5K, 10K group, sometimes steeples. But sometimes people would be shifted between the groups depending on what they needed. It's not like... Like I hope he's not like or or is Cooper Tier doing the exact same workout every time that Grant Fisher is. That's what I'd want to know. But if you don't trust the coach,
0: you know, it's hard, but if you don't trust the coach, it's over. It's not hard, it's over. So I think it's that's not true.
1: Abdi Nur admitted that he I was reading on the message board, somebody was questioning Mike Smith in twenty seven or twenty eighteen. But by the way, one of the biggest winners of the meet is Mike Smith. It still bothers me that his voice made a lot of people think he has a faked voice. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but because the, I've heard a lot of coaches do things for a certain effect. I don't know if it, someone told me, I forget if it was Lenana or what more, they're like, they try to get the athletes to crave their attention. Like I never wanted to do that. If you're faking your voice to be successful, God, I can almost condone it in this, pace, in this place because he was so successful. So if you grew up with Mike and know what his voice sounded like 10 years ago, please give us a call. Unlike Facebook, unlike Twitter, unlike Google, we have a phone number, 844-LET'S-RUN, eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. 538 7786 People think I'm kidding. My wife went to, went to elementary school with Elizabeth Holmes. That voice was faked, and then once she got arrested, the voice went back to normal. So, Oh
2: my God, Robert. All right, all right, let's calm down. I mean, Mike Smith's voice has been a subject of fasc- fascination in the running community for several years now, uh, because he's from... Central Massachusetts, but certainly doesn't sound like it. I mean, maybe we need to go to Chris Miltenberg, the UNC coach. He was roommates with Mike Smith at Georgetown in college. He might have the backstory. But, well, then I want to throw this to you. I mean, Mike Smith's athletes obviously had a fantastic meet. Woody Kincaid wins the 5K. Sorry, wins the 10K. Avdi Noor wins the 5K. Nikki Hiltz wins the 1500. And Ellie Hennis, very respectable fifth in the 5,000-meter final on Sunday, he's doing all this with a three month old daughter. Uh I mean, as someone who just has a, a young daughter right now, like are you does that make you more impressed by Mike's and he's also coaching a college team, though the season's over. What do you make of that?
0: I'm more impressed with the college season. Cause that means the baby was born and he was still coaching. But are we expected to take paternity leave these days? Did he take a couple weeks off? Probably not. Um, or, or John, are you saying people should come to me? So three months, my daughter was born in June. Oh, it'll be just after the world. Maybe some athletes need to peak for worlds. I thought you were saying about the three-month mark, I, they should hire me. I have no credentials as a coach. I did coach Robert's number one recruit in high school one year, and he became really good. But if you want me to coach you, email me. I'll be better. Th- as Robert says, I'm slightly better than him at everything, so
2: <laughs> I just realized, that well, then, your daughter is going to be battling Nova Smith for a spot on the Olympic team down the road. And the problem is okay, you your daughter's got good genes, you know, you're fourth at USA's. Well, his daughter's got an Olympian, Rachel Schneider-Smith, as a mother. So, your daughter may be at a disadvantage, but you know, that's why dreams become reality, right? She's, it's already an underdog.
1: No, the, the, the disadvantage is Weldon's daughter's not born at altitude. I think uh, Weldon's wife is, is certainly more talented as an athlete than Mike Smith. So I'm going to give the pure genetics to Weldon, but I'm just not sure about the altitude.
2: You need, okay. You need to move to Flagstaff tomorrow. Weldon. then that, that's what Robert's saying.
1: But no, he, his wife didn't. She did sleep in the altitude tent that I, that I sent up there last about we missed the first trimester as well I, I didn't trust if you know think wouldn't malfunction so I sent the altitude tent up to Katherine I think when she hit the 4 month mark and hopefully that helped. That's a joke people, that's a joke.
2: All right. What about Balbin Track Club in general? We have said on the podcast a few times wasn't a great meet for them. Uh, Elise Cranny doubles up, 5K, 10K. Amazing meet for her. Sean McGordy, probably the best meet of his life as well. He's third in the 5K and third in the 10K. But a number of their other athletes, either underperformed, Kupertier, Josh Thompson, or are injured. Carissa Schweizer and Grant Fisher are both DNS's in the 5Ks. Courtney Frerich's DNS steeple final. Evan Jager didn't even run the meet. You know, they've at least granny was pretty straightforward and said it's been a difficult transition to Eugene. They also lost that strength and conditioning coach, Pascal Dobert. He left for the Puma Elite team. So, definitely some changes. They've still got a ton of talent on this team, but Robert, are you concerned at all? Or do you think, no, it's just they all happen to be hurt? It's bad timing. And they'll be back stronger than ever in 2024. Because I did run the numbers. I looked at the number of people Bowerman will be sending to Worlds compared to previous years. Here's what we've got from 2016 through 2023, track athletes only. 2016, they sent five people to the Olympics. 2017, they sent six. 2019, they sent seven. 2021, six. 2022, last year, Bowerman sent eight athletes to the World Championships. This year, it's only two. Cranny, McGordy, Fisher might be able to get there if McGordy gives up a spot. But they only had two athletes finish in the top three at USA's.
0: Wait, they had eight Americans? You're not even talking like Mohamed. Eight Americans? No, I'm talking
2: Americans. Elise Cranny, Carissa Schweizer, Sean McGordy, Grant Fisher, Woody Kincaid, Evan Jager, Courtney Fredericks, Josh Thompson all ran at Worlds one year ago.
0: Wow. I knew it was a bad meet. But some of these people were injured coming in. Grant Fisher, terrible, horrific meet. Courtney Frerichs, I don't know. At some point, why don't you just run the final? What's her injury? Like, what's the point? You're not going to try to make the worlds. She's maybe she's severely injured. She had surgery on the same
1: foot. Well, then, are you insane? People do not run well when they're in pain. You do not run. You you, you cannot will yourself to an Olympic team with a stress fracture in your leg or a bone problem. So, look, Bowerman had a bad meet. I actually, I I am curious. I originally defend them, but I I can see if you're a cynic. To me, it's like, okay, this proves to me that they're not, that they are clean because they get hurt all the time and they're inconsistent. They just train really hard. Sometimes they train too hard or they get a little bit older and more brutal, and they get hurt and they don't do well. So Lenski got hurt. Like It's a hard system. To me, that proves they're clean. I guess you could say, oh, ever since Shelby had to stop the testosterone, they've been having injury problems. Well, that wasn't true last year. It wasn't true the year before. So, whatever. I am interested in the fact that Pascal left. I should give him a call. I think he re- he returns my calls. But anyways, they have, like, a bad meat, but a bad meat for them is still better than any- anybody else's meat. I guess, except for Mike Smith, who can cherry-pick athletes from all the shoe companies? Like, how many did the OAC send to the team? How many did the Brooks Beasts send to the team?
2: Yeah, OAC's got three between Monson, Klecker, and Yard and Goose. Brooks Beasts, two, with Isaiah Harris and Nia Akins. Yeah, and it's funny, the standards we hold these two. I mean, Nike's got a bigger budget than the Brooks Beast, but you know, I'm saying, oh, the Brooks Beasts, they have one national champion, they're sending two people to the worlds. So, like, This is a huge success for them, because historically, it is. They hadn't had a U.S. champion since Nick Simmons in 2015. They hadn't sent anyone to Worlds since 2019, and that was Ali Ostrander, who only got to go because the U.S. got four places in the steeple, and Brandon Kidder, who was sixth at USA's and only got to go because they got four spots in the 800. So the last time Brooks had an athlete finish in the top two and go to Worlds before this year was Drew Wendell back in 2017.
0: Oh, and wait, how many NCAA champions do they have on their team? Who? Brooks Beast.
2: Well, Isaiah Harris was an NCAA champion.
0: Exactly. He's going to USA's. Oh, and Josh Kerr. Oh, he goes to Worlds every year. Like, it kind of gets back to what Robert was talking about. The teams right. that have super talent, like, those are the people who go to Worlds. The Bowerman has talent levels, uh, budget much higher than the Brooks Beast. So they, they should do better. Poor meat for them. Jerry didn't lose the ability to coach. It'll be interesting though to see what happens. Like Cooper Chair needs confidence in him, and at some point, John, maybe this applies to all, all coaches. He, you know, you're like, this is my way. It's either my way or the highway, and that works. And it really works for a lot of athletes. And then at some point, you're the old guy who's out of touch. I don't think Jerry's there. I think we're, he's got an amazing crop at Oregon next year, and I mean, Burnbomb looks amazing. Like. I think people, the women's team surprised at NCAAs this year. So I think Oregon will be fine next year, and I assume Jerry's pro group will be more than fine next year. But at some point, right, it doesn't. You you do probably get old and out of touch. I don't think we're we're anywhere there yet.
2: No, Robert. I sorry, Weldon. I think in a couple of years the Oregon distance program is going to be very very good because. You've got one of the top coaches in the country. You've got Haywood Field and just Oregon facilities, the Oregon brand name. That's a huge draw in recruiting. Like, look at what Jerry did at Wisconsin. Now, obviously, Wisconsin does have a bit of a brand name, too. They had a history before he got there, but they were consistently top two at NCAAs year in, year out in cross country. They only won one title, but they were always one of the best teams. They had some massive studs, Simon Bayrou, Be- Camp, Selinski, Tim Nelson. You know, Jake was there for a year. I I think Connor Burns and Simeon Burnbaum, those guys are the real deal. My, my only thing is, like, you're seeing more athletes turn pro early. So if one of those guys just explodes into a supernova, they're probably not going to stick around and be the core of a cross-country team for the next three or four years. But I think they're going to be quite good. They might be able to get some NIL money. It's probably... The, the best position to do that in Eugene, so I do think they'll be very good uh, fairly quickly.
1: Yeah, that whole college athletics changing—I mean, talking about sounding like the old guy—it does bother me. So now they can just sign people to NIL money, not have them go pro and make their team good, go be good, and then decimate Stanford by having their guys go pro. I, I but I agree with you; they're going to be great, I think. But that being said, if you're, if you're a star recruit, remember where Jerry sent his own son. It wasn't to Stanford. It wasn't to Oregon. It was to Stanford. So, but, you know, one thing about Jerry is, it's like with Sinclair Johnson. She didn't like the system, and she left. And she's had success. She won USAs. But Jerry wasn't trying to get her where she could win USAs or this year lose to a thing, though. He was trying to, and barely break four. He was trying to get her where she could run like 355. And he thought he, she needed to be pounded into the ground for like a year or two to maybe get there. And maybe it would never happen. It, it, it's hard to figure out. But back to the Brooks piece. good for them. I'm excited that Danny Mackey had a good meet because did you guys see this post that he put up on Instagram yesterday? There's a message board thread about it. There's been some crazy stuff going on, some really difficult stuff in his personal life, it sounds like. He said, I've heard people talk about meeting the double and what that can do to your heart, soul, brain, and mind. I fully know what that means now. We live in a crew world. One, I know intimately now sports are trivial, but they typify life. So it sounds like some deep s i h i blank stuff has been going on there. So I I wish him the best on a personal level. I'm sure some people, and I don't want to speculate here, but people on the message board are speculating about what happened. And there was another case of some other person, people are speculating what happened. And look, that's just the way it works. If you don't want people to speculate about your life, then don't put it out on Instagram because that's just the way it was. So either don't mention it at all, and then nobody will speculate. Or if you mention it and are cryptic about it, people are going to speculate. So that's just in defense of the message boards there. So um, best of luck to him. And it's good to see Like what we've said. it if, if you're a good coach and you have good talent, generally you can do good things with it. And there's a lot of people that can do it. I I, I sort of, when I was younger, I used to think, there was one way to coach. Now I view it as like there's a lot of ways to cook a, a, a chicken breast. But ultimately, a chicken breast can only taste like you know, certain quality of the meat. You guys, but well, you can speculate about my personal life because I actually have to go. I nearly as good at child rearing and doing my professional duties as Mike Smith. I can't barely handle my five-year-old. I've got to pick him up from summer camp. So have a good rest of the show. I'll enjoy it.
2: All right. Well, then, I don't want to speculate about Robert's personal life, but I do want to mention, Robert has this grand theory that women run better when they're in a relationship. Men run better when they're not in a relationship. And there have been many examples that have proved it wrong, but there have also been some examples that have proved it right. And we had a couple this weekend. I think Mo and Brandon Miller are dating. I think Mo, in a stable relationship, running great. Brandon Miller, in a stable relationship, didn't run great this past weekend, but he also said he's kind of been injured. So, anyway, but the other the more interesting thing, Elise Cranny and Sean McGordy had been dating since their time at Stanford, and it appears that they're no longer together, but both of them rocked it this weekend. So, I think that t- kind of takes an L for Robert's theory, given that Elise Cranny won the 5K and 10K and had the best weekend of her life on the track.
0: Yeah, it does seem to obliterate the theory, but. I mean, the big picture from all these things, I mean, the Danny thing sounds horrific. And just personal life's like, there's so much more to life than running. And also, like, we expect these athletes and coaches just to reform, like, machines. And I know with my personal life, there's stuff going on. I have a kid, you know, I'm, like, trying to do podcasts. I'm not sleeping. Like, for athletes, it's even more harder because you need to be your physical tip-top shape. I think that's sort of, like, my takeaway from all of this. Like... You know, I'm glad Danny could get some relief from whatever's going on, like, with the athletes doing well, but its I'm sure it's not going to, you know, make them, wake them up and, and whatever personal stuff's going on, it's not going to go away. But, I mean, it's, it's just, I guess that's life, right? Yeah. Well, the number of college
2: coaches I talked to who are like, look, you never know what's going on in these teams. If you have an athlete who went through a bad breakup, they might not be themselves for the rest of the season. Like, so many different coaches and so many different programs told me that sort of tell me that sort of thing. Yeah, they're human beings at the end of the day. Um and everyone's got their own, own stuff they gotta take care of. And sometimes things line up and it allows you to have a great season, and other times it's more difficult. But the Brooks Beasts, even no matter what Danny was going through, they had a fantastic meet. So uh good job to them. Now, I wanna take a look forward well then. The world championships are a little bit over a month away. August 19th in Budapest is when they begin. Do
0: you have plane ticket, John?
2: I I bought my plane ticket. It's booked. So I'm going. Are you going, Walden?
0: I'm going, but I need to, you know, talking about personal stuff, sort of coordinate when I'm going to be there with Rojo. I'm not going to go with two kids, three and under in the house. I'm not going the full 10 days, sort of run that by my wife. So I don't know, maybe five, six, seven. I'm not sure. They trimmed it
2: down to nine days. It's August 19th to the 27th. So they took a day off from last year. Uh, we have the Airbnb booked, though. My flight's are booked, so I'm all good. You guys can decide whatever you're going to decide. Um, but I want to talk about that meet. Last year, the U.S. won. Do you remember how many distance, mid-distance medals the U.S. won at the World Championships last year, Weldon? Can you remember them all?
0: Wasn't it one thing, Well. Yeah, there aren't
2: that many to remember. A think was the only one who won one. Gold in the 800 meters. So, looking at 2023, where do you set the over-under? Because I think a thingmo is close to a lock for a medal in the 800. And I think yard has a good shot to medal in the 1500, but you know, he's he's not a lock. There are a lot of guys who are very good in the 1500. So for me, the number is either one and a half or two and a half. Weldon, where would you set the over-under for U.S. distance medals? So 800 and up.
0: I think it's just a hard two. Like, three is going to be hard to get. I expect us to get two. So I think if you're you're trying to sort of like a wash at two, if we get one, wow, I'm shocked. It's disappointing. If we get three, it's good. And two sort of... Two's a push. Okay. Yeah. I I so I am I'm leaning more, I guess maybe if I had to pick one of the, the two and a half. I really think it's just right at two is where you would sort of put the line like anything under that's shocking. Anything more is, is is pretty surprising. Um yeah, Nagoose, we really raved about his run at USA's. So most people have seen it, but he you know, takes the lead, pushes the pace. And then Joe Wascom comes by him with 200 to go. And with 100 meters to go, I'm just like, wow, is he maybe going to just create or not make this team? And you rarely see this. The guy who's leading the whole way, give up the lead and come back, storm back and win it. But immediately after that, we're like, oh, is he vulnerable? Like, wait, he's got another six weeks he needs to be r- running well in or whatever it is, five weeks it is from now. So in the 1500, it's just, that's why we love it. There's tactics Even if, even if he went into the race, Whatever his peak form is, which he still may be at, there's still no guarantees, man. I mean, you, you got Ingebrigtsen, you got Chariot, you got all these other guys. So it's Kern, you know, I mean, there's just tons of guys. So it's that one's going to be hard. Uh, well, and you said, I'm assuming you've
2: watched this race to our listeners. Is there anyone listening to this podcast who did not watch the US Men's 1500 final? If that's true, I'd love to know. It. If you're up more than an hour into the Let'sRun.com track talk podcast, and you somehow missed the men's 1500 USA's, please email me Jonathan Gold, at let's run.com and tell me why you're listening to the podcast and why you missed the race. Cause I feel like this is for the diehards of diehards, you know?
0: I mean, but John, I I listened to like a soccer podcast. I did not watch the U S play Canada. I know what happened. I've seen some highlights. So you, can, you got stuff going on in your lives. People could have seen the results. Maybe they didn't watch it and see it, you know. That's,
2: that's why I want to know. I
0: want to know if there's
2: like, I'm sure pe- some people might have had a legitimate reason, but I kind of assumed it would be like 99 or 100% of the listeners would have seen that specific race. All right. So looking at Worlds, I think we both agree. Thingmo has the most, the biggest chance of winning a medal for the US. I think we agree that Yard and Goose has the second most, second highest chance of winning a medal. Who has the third best chance of the U.S. distance crew at getting a medal in Budapest?
0: I you mean, know, might want to bring intern Alex into this one because am uh, I would. Nia Aikens, John. How about that for a name?
2: Nia Aikens is. You win the U.S. title in the 800. That's. You're one of the best in the world in the 800. I, I don't think that's a terrible candidate. I would say Raven Rogers, maybe. She has medaled twice in the past. I would say maybe Cole Hawker, if his kick, if he can keep it going if he can build up some strength he said after the USA's his goal is still to win the world championships this year so he thinks he can get there Alex what do you think who's number three
3: I was gonna say Bryce Hopple I mean the men's 800 is pretty wide open I mean I don't know I, Ken, the Kenyans have some good guys Marco are from Canada but I feel like I mean, Emmanuel Courier has been doing terribly but I don't know what was happening with him, but I guess he could show up at world championships and, and be in good shape. But I don't know, Bryce Hoppel, I think, got fourth in 2019. I feel like, he can, I feel like he, can, he can medal this year.
0: I really like that logic, Alex, actually, because I Sidney Aikens, because I think she's as good as anyone else in the rest of the world. But in the women's eight, you have a big two. So there's only everyone else in the world essentially vying for one medal. The men's eight.
2: Well, well not even a, every, that's not true. I mean, Mary Mara is going to be the favorite for bronze. It's really, it's going to be hard to be any of them.
0: Actually, I take that even, even scratch what I said about Nia Aikens. I think she's running great. I think she is the if there wasn't a big three, I'm picking her, but there is a big three. So let's, let's scratch that. And John, did you see how Alex handled that? He mentioned Emmanuel Career said he's not running well but I feel like he handled it pretty well. I don't think you, I don't know if you know this, John, but Emmanuel Career blew him off for an interview at the Stockholm Diamond League meet, and John would have, I felt, had more vitriol. Alex sort of treated it professionally and just said he's not running well. I didn't feel like it was too personal underneath there.
2: I don't take these things personally. I mean, athletes who totally bomb races den- generally don't like talking to the media. Like, if you finish DFL in a Diamond League, usually you just decline a request. That's pretty par for the course, so. Yeah, but kudos for handling that. Sometimes I do have a tendency to be like, oh, this person should be talking or I can't believe this person talked. But like USA's, almost everyone who I wanted to talk to did end up talking in the mixer. Chris Schweider didn't talk after the 10K. She was hurt and clearly in a bad spot. I think almost everyone at least stopped once apart from Shikari. So, yeah. It's tough. It's like... I do really feel bad for these athletes who you run a horrible race, the season you've been gearing up your whole season around it, and then, like, two minutes later, you're supposed to go through in front of the media and talk about all the ways you fell short. That's just a really tough ask to do, especially if it's a younger athlete. So that's why I appreciate the ones like Grant Fisher who do stop after failing to make the team and give their thoughts and share their time. I I appreciate that uh, because it's not easy to do.
0: Speaking of young people, Addie Wiley, with all that, there's this huge scandal at Huntington. She still stops, talks to the media. I think she deserves credit for that. But we said earlier, Alex, I would ask people your impressions of the Diamond League. You've been to your first Diamond League meet. Like, what's your biggest takeaway in having been to Diamond League meet in Europe? You went to. Probably the weakest one of the year so far, and it was raining most of the entire time. But it's still Diamond League; it's still really cool. Like, what was your biggest? I don't know. Takeaway from the meet, or what do you think people should know about it?
3: My biggest takeaway is simply that Europe is the the track, like capital of the world. Like there's no comparison. I the the pole vault started a little bit late because it was. Uh, because it was raining so much and then there was something wrong with the bar so it got delayed even more so by the time all the running events were done it was just the pole vault left and uh, so I just I walked over there and I watched Mondo Duplantis he attempted the world record which was pretty bold given that it was like 50 degrees and raining or I guess it wasn't raining but it was 50 degrees and cloudy and, like, the atmosphere there was incredible. Like, everyone seemed to know who this guy was. I mean, given that it was Stockholm and he's Swedish, I understand that. But, I don't know, I spoke to him after and I, I said, like, how can, how can we get this in America? And he just didn't have an answer. So, I guess that's my biggest takeaway. Like, it, was, it was just a crazy atmosphere, even though it was pouring rain. It was cold. It's supposed to be the summer, but it was, like, 50 degrees Fahrenheit there. And it was freezing. It was, it was so cold and it was rainy. Stadium was packed.
2: Well, Fayetteville, Arkansas is going to be suing you for infringement of track capital of the world. That's what they've tried to call themselves uh, the last few years. But
0: We talked a little bit about the crowds at USATF, this new amazing stadium. Are we worried the Diamond League final is not going to be sold out?
2: I think it's possible. It's certainly possible. Uh getting eleven twelve thousand 12000 to that for a two-day meet. They used to sell out the Pre-Classic every year, and since they moved it to the no- New Hayward, they haven't done that. So I am concerned they might not be able to sell it out, but they got 8,900 people there on Saturday, ticketed spectators. I think that number was a little inflated, but it was a pretty good crowd. I I don't know. If I had to guess, I would say there'd still be some empty seats, but... I think the attendance will do pretty well. The Stockholm meet, I mean, yes, they're track fans, but they're also Mondo fans. Like, here's how you sell out a track meet in the United States. You shrink the country to the size of Sweden, you hold one world-class track meet per year, and you have, like, two athletes from your country who are the best in the world instead of, like, hundreds of them across dozens of sports. And that's how you get people to show out because... You know, they all want to see one of the few Swedish athletes who is sort of the very best in the world in their event, or the the GOAT, uh, you could even argue. Whereas in the U.S., there's just so much more competition in terms of other sports, other amazing athletes, uh, and it's out in Eugene, which is hard to get to for a very large country.
0: Is the Diamond League final, is it sort of two equal days? I mean, last year they had street stuff the day before in the final. What are they doing this year, John? I... Uh,
2: I don't know what they're doing this year. Well, yeah, last year they had the 5Ks and they had some street stuff on the first day and then all the other stuff was on the second day. This one, I don't know. They've got part of it on Saturday and part of it on Sunday. And I don't know if it's going to be evenly divided or if there's going to be any street stuff or where that would be. They haven't really announced any plans for it. All I know is that I did learn this off this weekend in Eugene that the track events are going to be it's going to be done by the early evening on Sunday, the final day, which is good news for me because it's Patriots-Dolphins Sunday night football that night, and uh, I, I don't miss Patriots games. So hopefully we can get all the recap and whatever post-meet shows done out of the way so I can watch my Patriots lose to Miami as we always do.
0: It'll be interesting. I think the two days, trying to get two days of people to drive down from Portland might be hard. But isn't there an Oregon football game that's, saturday night too yes maybe that's the hope get them the double dip on saturday i have no idea yeah i
2: would offer a promotion if you're having trouble selling tickets offer some promotion to football fans say like discounted price on saturday or sunday some of these people will book a hotel in eugene for saturday night after a football game so just say hey stick around the try meets tomorrow afternoon you can watch it for two hours and then go home you know uh I would hope that with that many people who are like sports fans, you might be able to get a few of them to stick around. All right, should we talk some sprints? We've kind of ignored some of the amazing sprint performances we had at USA's. I know we're a distance-oriented podcast, but in the span of four days, we had Cravant Charleston shot win the 100, Tracksmith guy, crazy. Uh, Shikari Richardson dropped a 1071 PB in the first round. She wins her first official US title. She won it in 2021 but was stripped after the THC positive. In the 200, Gabby Thomas takes down Shakari Richardson, runs 2160. She's even faster than her winning time for the Olympic t- trials 2 years ago. Fastest American time since FloJo world leader just humongous run from her and it- you know, great for her. She was injured last year and left the USA meet crying when she failed to make the team because she wasn't 100% healthy. Well, now she's back and healthy and better than ever. So, great run by Gabby Thomas. And then Shakari Richardson. Sorry, not Shakari Richardson. Sydney mclaughlin Lavroni in the women's 400, doing what we basically said we thought she would do. We thought that she usually shows up at USA's. I thought she'd run under 49 seconds. Robert thought she'd run in 49 seconds. She did that. 48-74, .04 off of Sanya Richards, Ross's American record. Terrific race. And well, is she now the favorite for Wells in the 400? Or do you think it's Paulino who beat SML head-to-head in Paris?
0: Yes, I fully expect Sydney McLaughlin to win the world title. She's the favorite.
2: Yeah, I think that too. Yeah, assuming she runs the 400, she did not commit to it, but I think that would be my guess as to where she's leaning.
0: Well, turning to the 100, John, everybody mm-hmm. in America was focused on Shakeri, but Sharika Jackson ran 10.65 and came back and ran, won the 221.71. That's almost a half second ahead of Shelley and Fraser Price, who ran her first race of the year to get second Jamaican champs. Who's your favorite in the 100 meters?
2: Yeah, it's... We got a battle of the shushes. It's Shikari, Sharika, and maybe Shelly Ann Sharika Jackson's my favorite. 1065 5 Unlike Richardson, she has done it on the biggest stages before. She won the 200 at Worlds last year. She's medaled in the last two global championships in the 100. Heck, she's even medaled in the 400 a few years ago. So... 10.65 is faster than 10.71. She did get a friendly tailwind, but Jackson is my favorite, but we'll we'll get a look at it this weekend because remember, Shikari Richardson, when they raced in Doha, Shikari Richardson won convincingly. They are both entered in Silesia in Poland on Sunday, the next Diamond League meet, in the 100. So assuming they both show up, that's going to be a tantalizing matchup ahead of Worlds. But yeah, I'm going with Sharika Jackson.
0: It's a logical answer, John, but my big bowl prediction for the year was obviously Shikari winning. i got to really double down now. I mean, now it's actually a possibility. Before, it was like, oh, that's crazy. How could you say such a thing? Should be a good one.
2: Well, yeah, it's, it was kind of crazy at the time because the Jamaicans had swept the podium the last two years, and Shikari didn't even make the U.S. team. But Shikari has rediscovered her form. Elaine thompson Harad didn't even make the U.S. team. Shelly Ann Fraser-Price appears to have been injured because she only raced... She didn't race at all until this past weekend. So if you told me, yes, two of the three Jamaican stars that have been dominating the event are going to be hurt this year or, or well off that game, then I would have raised my odds for Shakari. But it's going to be fun. That's like we... The 100 is about head-to-head matchups between these mega stars. Shakira Richardson is a megastar. Sharika Jackson, not quite as brash and outspoken, but has megastar talent. is a world champion, so that will be a terrific matchup. And then Shelly Ann, if she can get things together, I mean, her championship record speaks for itself. So I'm pumped for that. And the 200 as well. Like Sharika Jackson, 21.45 last year in Eugene, 21.71 into a headwind in this meet after running the hundred. So could say that's arguably you know as impressive or more impressive than what gabby thomas did given gabby thomas what was the win for that race oh (laughs) gabby thomas minus 0.4 wind i didn't realize that so gabby thomas ran 2160 into a headwind my goodness
0: the jackson's about a 200 runner than 100 she's winning the 200 i'm just gonna put it out there i mean gabby thomas what happened to her last year because we've seen her. When she's in her prime, she's amazing.
2: Yeah, she had like a tear in her quad or a hamstring or something. But 2021, she got bronze. It really should have been silver because the silver medalist was DSD. She only lost to Elaine Thompson Hurrah, who ran crazy fast. So, yeah, Gabby Thomas. I mean, again, she would be the American record holder if not for Flojo. Uh, I think a lot of people listening to this podcast probably would regard be Thomas—that's the American record holder. Given Flojo's very suspicious late career improvement, but Sharika Jackson will be the world record holder if not for Flojo. So we're dealing with two huge talents here. All right, one more thing on USA's. Well, well, maybe you have extra. But topic of discussion: we saw a number of athletes who have been fixtures on the US scene over the last few years fail to make the team this year. I I keep showing up at these meets. And I'm glad when Emma Coburn and Centro were there because those two athletes, they're both older than me and they were both still competing when I first started covering the sport in 2015. And when they go and when Evan Jager retires, the number of track athletes who I've covered since who was competing when I first started covering the sport might be in the single digits or even below that. Like, It makes me feel good to see these athletes keep showing up year after year at USA's. I didn't, I, I kind of in the mix zone, I talked to Emma Coburn about being older, and I didn't want to come across as calling her old, because we're the same age. We're both 32, but she kind. I think she kind of took it in stride, Emma's a pro, you know, but
0: I'm... Wait, John, is is Abdi still competing? Abby Cooper? Abdi Abdurahman.
2: No, he retired.
0: He did? Finally? win.
2: I think last year or something. I don't think he... I think he said, like, New York was, like, his last marathon or something.
0: I mean, there's hope, John. You just need a guy like that to keep going to, like... He was my generation and still competing. I mean, it was pretty nuts. I mean, that dude made the 2020 Olympic team. I mean...
2: Still one of the most ridiculous things. uh, That, yeah, he made the Olympic team at age 44... Sorry, 43 in 2020 at the trials. Um, But the other thing with running is, like, you could just keep running road races. Like, did Joan Benoit or Dina Casta ever officially retire? They just still show up and run road races and run, they crush their age group. So there are some athletes. And Joan Benoit, I'm pretty sure both of those athletes actually still have shoe deals with their sponsor. It's just they're not, like, they're more ambassador-type things. But my larger point with some of the fixtures on the U.S. team. I wanted to ask you, yes or no, maybe you can share a couple thoughts on each, of about athletes who had made a bunch of U.S. teams in the past, but did not make the team in 2023. Will the following athletes ever make another U.S. team outdoors? RJ Wilson. Yes. Matthew Centrowitz. No. Evan Jager.
0: I'm still waiting for him to break age John, No.
2: Donovan Brazier.
0: Oh my God. He's only 26. He's got to come back. Okay. Brazier's my new Jager. I'm I'm shifting all my Jager energy to Brazier. I'm I'm putting all my eggs on Brazier coming back, winning a gold medal, an Olympic gold medal. That's what we're going for. Um, oh I said uh, yes to Ajay Wilson. She was sort of one of the big mysteries at USA's this year. Every team she's ever tried out for, she's made right.
2: No, tw- so 2012, her senior year in high school, she ran the Olympic trials well, and didn't make it. But
0: I mean, yes, since pro- she first made a team,
2: correct? Yeah. Yes, since 20, 20- which, which is, is a ridiculous amazing. streak. She made every indoor team and every outdoor team since 2013 and finished in the top three at USA's every U.S. championships in that span apart from two. 2015 when she fell in the 600 at USA Indoors and this past year in the she didn't run USA Indoors and then didn't make it in the 800. So her consistency is absolutely remarkable. I don't know about her if she'll make a team. I do. I think Brazier will make another team. I, I looked at 800 this year. Like Even Brazier, like, 80% or 85%, I think, makes that team. Like, the race wasn't that fast. I know there was a lot of bumping, but I watched that race. I was like, Isaiah Jewett really doesn't have any excuse for not making it. He had a clean run to the front. He wasn't really caught up in the bumping, and he could only run 147. You just, you got to run 146, 145, you make that team. I thought he could do it, and he didn't. So, I think Brazier, it's just, you need to be healthy to make these teams, and he hasn't been, but... I'm saying Brazier makes another team.
0: Yeah, there's hope for him. So Ajay Wilson, pretty much, she corresponds pretty well with Coburn. I mean, Coburn's streak was amazing as well. She'd been 10 for 10, so what year did that go back to, too? It's got to be, like, 2013, right?
2: Coburn had
0: won every title
2: from 2013 to 2021. So that was Sorry, to 2022, so that's... No, sorry, 2014 to 2022, she won eight in a row. She was injured in 2013 and didn't run, but also won in 2011 and 2012. So she had won eight straight, and she had won ten straight that she competed in.
0: Wow, just looking at their ages, Ajay Wilson's only 29. I mean, the 800 is not a young, not an older person's, not a 30-year-old person's game generally. But she's hinted at this ailment. She hinted at it last year. We don't know. I mean, I I don't know what it is sounds like it somehow limits her ability. I mean, there's a possibility. I was shocked she did so poorly in the final. Somehow she's always managed to rise to the occasion. But at least heading into this past weekend, she was number two in the world in terms of second fastest. So I think there's still hope for her. But the 800, John, is so tough for the U.S. I mean, if it turns out the other way for her, I wouldn't be shocked. Which yeah,
2: sucks. but no, she's been a cut above most of these women, though. Like, come on, you're telling me if she's not her regular, if she she's like what she was in Paris a month ago, no way she's losing to Kayla Edwards in this race. She never loses to Kayla Edwards. I still, I think RJ will probably make another team.
0: But you're going to have mm-hmm. Willis, Julia Whitaker, M- Michaela Rose. Like, sure, they're not at that level, John, but maybe they could be. I mean, these were junior f- phenoms. But I guess that's true. That's a good point. Sammy Watson was a world under 20 champion. I mean, God, the talent level we've had in this event is just sick. Um, but if I, yeah, if I had to bet, I think she makes another team.
2: Oh, well. So speaking of Centro as well, I just got a text about this, and I wanted to clarify something because I don't know if he probably. I don't think Matthew Centro would listen to this podcast, but we had an interaction in the mix zone, and like. I started chuckling at something, and he like calls me out on it immediately. He's just like, "Why are you laughing, man?" He thought I was like laughing at him and his comments. I was like, "No, I actually think Matthew's comments are usually very insightful." But it was because Chris Chavez had called Centro a master tactician, which is accurate. Matthew Centro is a great tactician, but I also think that the, the specific phrase "master tactician" is thrown around so often it, when, when appla- it's applied to Matthew Centurions. Jenny Simpson and the spiritual forefather of that phrase was Bernard Lagarde. He was always referred to as a master tactician. I just always got a chuckle because it reminded me of like Tom Hammond and just every race he would call it world to just be like, and here's Bernard Lagarde, the master tactician. And it would just hearing that phrase again made me chuckle. And I think Matthew thought I was like disrespecting him, whereas really I was just (laughs) thinking of this phrase that drew me back to, you know, the old days.
0: Oh, Matthew called you out and then your friend now just texted you about it.
2: Well, you yeah, know, one, uh, one of my friends was listening to the video back and she was just like, I thought I loved it when Matthew said aggressively, you know, why, why are you laughing? And I was like, yeah, I was, I was like, oh, I didn't think it was because he was smiling, too. I thought he was smiling at the same thing, but we were actually smiling at different things. And we talked, it at, we talked about, I clarified after the interview, I was, just pulled him aside and was like, hey, wasn't laughing at you. I think we're good. But, you know, it was a little it was an awkward moment at the time
0: to have to pull the clip and watch it. I'm not sure how many. I didn't, I'm not a big post-race interview person unless I'm there. Generally, unless someone points it out to me. I know Alex is. Alex loves for that stuff. But he's just some wavy to step away for something. Oh, wait. Alex is back. Alex, we were talking about post race interviews. I know that's like you're. I don't know, like you're porn. Or you're really into it.
3: <laughs> it's porn.
0: Yeah. Well, it wasn't track and field news. Like, called like like people would say, oh, it's like my porn for the sport or something. Ja- quick, throw throw my cover of
2: track and field, throw my issue of track and field news under the bed. Make sure my mom doesn't find out I'm reading it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I guess Alex, what, are there any interviews I need to watch? Any, I'm going to go listen to the centroids thing, but
3: I did watch. Like, Almost all of them.
0: That would take hours. There's 150 of them, I believe.
3: I was in the airport for a long time waiting for my flights, and I was listening to them. Um,
0: do you do, like, 1.5 speed or you just one one speed?
3: Just regular speed. Okay. I do remember Sentra saying, why are you laughing? But I guess we mentioned the other one, Cooper Tier. He was pretty emphatically talking about training. Isaac Updike and Bernard Cheater did one combined. That was a good one. Other than that.
0: Actually, right now, somehow I see the like fake Josh Kerr like with these video clips in here. Fake Josh Kerr, give us a call in. But wait, I saw this. Was Josh Josh Kerr in the 800 at the British Championships? Now, was that his plan all along, or did he only do it once Whiteman scratched from Worlds? Because presumably if anyone's going to get a buy, well, I guess Whitewin would already have a buy actually to Worlds, but the British selection, there's only like one discretionary spot. So how did he know he was going to
3: get it?
2: I was wondering the same exact thing well then. I didn't see anything written about this, but yeah, that's basically him saying, I'm running the 1500. I dare you not to pick me after finishing third and fifth and lost two global finals.
3: I listened to something Traxta, which is like, a British uh, track and field outlet spoke to him after his 800 meter uh, heats or the final. And he, he didn't mention outright why he chose, uh, he chose to run, why he was so sure that they're picking him for the 1500, but he was like a hundred percent sure because he said, would I rather run one 1500 at, at like a tactical pace or get in two hard 800 to work on my speed. So he sounded very like he like he had talked to British Athletics before and he kind of knew that he was already going in the fifteen hundred and that him and Danny Mackey decided that he was gonna focus on his speed, work on what he calls um, his weakness, like the eight hundred meter speed is his weakness, and run two hard eight hundreds to get a better stimulus than just running one what he would call like soft fifteen hundred, like slow fifteen hundred.
2: All right. I get that. I mean, he's run He's run 330 and 329 this year. So I think it would be silly if British Athletics didn't pick him. They only have three spots now that Whiteman doesn't have to buy, but I assume it's going to be him, Gourley, and then
3: Elliot Giles. Oh,
2: yeah. Elliot Giles has taking up the 1500 this year. I see. Yeah. I guess he's probably going to run that event at Worlds then. Yeah. Elliot Giles has actually been pretty good. Yeah. The British champs in general, that. One of the most epic races I've ever seen that men's 100 final with Zon L. Hughes. I don't know how he ran 10.03 in that rainstorm. It also said there was zero wind. I don't know if that's possible. Maybe the wind gauge fell down or something. I don't know what happened in that race, but there were some really cool photos to come out of that. The men's 800, we had it in the week that was. Kerr was kind of towards the back. He got up for fifth in the end at 146, but Max Bergen... Tried to take it to the gray zone and almost, almost held on, but then totally tied up at the end and was essentially walking by the finish. He ends up falling across the line. The, I mean, the final times Daniel R- R- Rowden, 145.13, Ben Patterson, 145.15, Max Bergen, 145.16. So super, super tight. I assume Bergen will get that third discretional spot, but man, and I was also surprised. Charles Hicks I was thinking he would be have a pretty good shot to make the world's team but he loses to another former Pac-12 athlete Oregon alum James West won that in 1342 Emil Caress who ran 208 in the London Marathon in April 1343 then Tom Mortimer then Charles Hicks 1344 Hicks doesn't he did say at NCAAs he's not as much of a kicker as Kai Robinson and Maybe the slower pace didn't help him in that one, but I was surprised he was only fourth there uh, in his Bauman Track Club debut. Though I don't think he was wearing the BCC singlet.
0: In these British championships, I'm putting a link in the show notes. You've been seeing this thing, the 100 meters. It's the race of the year. It's the coolest race. We need more races like this. I just can't believe they ran the thing. Like, I've ne- In all the years of running, I've never seen a race in weather like that, ever. Like, Props to the Brits for shooting the gun off. I'm surprised you didn't get some... Cr- but even with that, Johnny, you get some crazy results. There's no Tour de France like some random guy wins it. Like, man, he might be my favorite for Worlds in the 100. Like, that dude's running really well. Silesia, Poland, Diamond League this meet. That's the best thing with USA, H F being the rearview mirror. We get right back at the Diamond League. Monaco is next Friday. There's also something else coming up soon. 40 plus 10 celebration. But... Monaco is going to be great. I don't know, John. We'll do a preview show Friday or post race show Sunday, but you got Jakob Ingerbritzen.
2: Silesia, you mean? What did I say? You said Monaco. Monaco is next week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Poland this week. Sharika versus Shakiri. Please, please happen, please. Supposedly a sick fast 1500 by Jakob. Curly versus Niles.
2: Sorry, Curly versus Wiles in the men's 100.
0: And I like how they do this also. There's like the Polish 100-meter sprinter. Like, they didn't set up the win for her. They have her racing Sha'Carri and Sharika. It's like, no, you're going to race the best, and we're going to cheer for you.
2: Well, yeah, it's a,
0: it's a Diamond League event, though.
2: You, can't, you can do that. Like, Mo Farah, the reason they could set up these fields is some of these races wouldn't be like Diamond League points events. A Diamond League points 100, you can't just say, oh, we're going to set it up for Eva Soboda. You know, Shakari Richards wants, ru- wants to run. You got to let her in.
0: You don't have to pay her, John. She gets a big appearance fee. Come on. She just, just didn't show up. I swear there were some Mofar races, some 3Ks or something in Birmingham. I guarantee it was Diamond League and Diamond League events. Somehow they made it happen.
2: Well, it should be a fun one. Yeah, we'll either do a Friday 15 previewing it or a post race show on Sunday afternoon. So. Check your local listings. Go to let'srun.com later this week and you can find out exactly what our plans will be. We need to convene with Rojo to figure that out. But, Well, then, any other final thoughts? I mean, USA, it was fun, man. It was a good meet. Late nights, but great racing as usual. Love those 1500s. The hundreds are fun. Made me excited. I I can't wait for You know, Budapest, never been to Hungary. You got a brand new stadium for it. You got some big storylines in some of these events now. I'm very excited for the World Championships.
0: Yeah. And you people, if you haven't bought your tickets, you still can go. It it's like a bargain. I haven't bought my plane ticket either, so well, but I'm still done it.
2: Bargain the price I ended up paying. It was <laughs> I mean I'm go I picked booked a one way ticket because I'm flying back via you know, I'm sticking around in Europe for another mm-hmm. week, but it's probably still cheaper than between hotels and everything, it might still be cheaper than Eugene from the East Coast. Well,
0: Relative bargain, John, these days. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, and ladies and gentlemen, John may not be coming back to America. So be careful customs, John, when you don't tell him you don't have a ticket coming back.
2: I've got tickets coming back. I've already booked my whole itinerary. I'm going to Zurich for the Diamond League after Worlds, and then I'm stopping by England, and they just went on sale today. Brighton versus Newcastle, September 2nd. English Premier League matchup of two of the top six teams in the country. And I need to purchase my ticket. But yeah, I'll be going to that game on my way home, hopefully celebrating a big Brighton win.
3: Is it at the Amex? It is.
2: Newcastle is a long way from Brighton. So i probably have to be, it might be hard getting a ticket there or, you know, be a much more involved travel travel. So yeah, it's a home game for Brighton.
0: Wait, I just Googled Crystal Palace preseason starts today, John. Really? Oh, there's hope for me. Sorry, track and field fans. Hey, and I'm not sure how long I can get away. Maybe I'll fly back through London on the way and try to catch a game. I think the wife will never know the difference, right? Actually, my wife's best friend will. My wife's best friend lives in London. We need, we need to go back over together. That's what we'll do. All right, Alex. All right, John. Great coverage from Eugene. Appreciate the late nights. And, oh, it's Robert was pumping up this Prime Day. Check out the link in the show notes. If you can go to Amazon Prime, just click on the show notes and click through our link. Support Let's Run. Talk to everybody Friday or Sunday for Supporters Club members.